Hi, I'm Jennifer Wilde, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. This week on Sober Exposure, we have Brandon Lee. Brandon is a news reporter for CBS Phoenix, and I met him in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and he is such a compelling story. This guy recovers out loud like nobody else, so he's going to talk all about it on Sober Exposure. Get ready. Let's go. It's Sober Exposure with Jennifer Wilde, and I have... I have someone I'm really excited about. I always say that, but I mean, this is a true professional. I don't even have to, I don't even, I'm not even gonna have to talk. Yeah. He's, in a hurry too. <laughs> he's in a hurry because of course he's advocating again for we addicts. Uh, it's Brandon Lee, CBS five Phoenix. And when I met you, you were in LA and you were, you, you weren't working because of, I think something that had to do with you speaking out. I mean, this guy is all yeah. about <laughs> speaking out recovering out loud. Brandon's story is unbelievable. And we have to kind of do a cliff notes version of it. I don't want to rush this because he's so unbelievable. So just give us like a, a, a really quick version of your story, which sure. is so intense. I yeah, speaking in California. Intense. It was amazing. <laughs> Tell us. All right, start. Yeah. So um, first off, I met Jennifer. It's good to be here. Um, I try to never miss an opportunity to speak out loud about recovery. Um, I'm definitely not anonymous. I don't believe in anonymity. Maybe we can even get into that at some point about why I don't believe in anonymity if we want to break the stigma of shame around addiction. Um, but yeah, I met you at a meeting in Los Angeles. I was working at, I've always been a news anchor for 22 years. And um, in the summer of 2018 is when I decided to move to Venice Beach, quit my job mid-contract to go write a book about addiction and recovery. Um, I also had a job offer from a major network in Los Angeles. They found out I was going to write a book about addiction and recovery, and they ended up pulling my deal because they didn't think that that was going to reflect well on them. Talking about the stigma, that is the stigma, right? Yeah. Um, so I ended up writing my book anyway. And you know what? Listen, I always tell people my higher power already has my, has my back, has my life planned out for me, and they're guiding me. And my higher power, she will protect me from things that even though I want it, she may rip that away from me because it's not the best for me. And so I look back at that experience, how upset I was at that time that a network would actually pull a contract for me from trying to advocate for mental health. But at the same time, I look back and I'm like, wow, trust in my higher power. She protected me from something that was going to be toxic for me. Because why would I want to be in an environment where I'm controlled that won't allow me to speak out about my true story and authenticity? Right. Where they didn't understand you because right. we'll get to what you get to yeah. do now because I saw some of your news stories and some of the documentaries you put together, yeah. which are amazing. So, yes, that is a, unbelievable. I was I got chills when I saw that you were working in Arizona doing that. Yeah. And I also so I, I, you called I, so I, you know, like <laughs> you, right? We're in broadcast and I always say, you know what? I'm going to use you as a platform for good. So I'm going to use this platform to reach a larger audience about addiction and recovery. And I'm grateful that the CBS network station that I'm at in Arizona allows me to do that. Um, but at the same time, um, they also know they do, we do Q score ratings in our business, you know, your likability score. Uh, they mm -hmm. did that after I wrote my book and, uh, they did focus groups and my Q score went from like a seven to a 10, um, because, you know, they looked at, they see the upside. All right. They see the upside of that. Um, having a recovered meth and heroin addict as their news anchor, because 
it was relatable to the public because everybody addiction touches every family in America. We all know somebody or have a family member who's in it. So the audience, I think, just saw relatability in that. Now, I'll take you back to my childhood. Here's the cliff note version of my story. I'm also an author of a book called Mascara Boys. So if you want to really dig deep about the about the story, you can. Um, I grew up in Orange Which County. is an amazing story. And I'm having you back when we have time. And you're going to tell everything for like two hours because okay. it's so good. I'm totally down for that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was so compelled. Um, okay. So I grew up in Orange County, California, Laguna Beach. I grew up as a little rich kid in a really nice house. I went to all boys private Catholic prep school. Definitely the definition of privilege right here. Um, at age 15, however, and I was playing soccer, international soccer. And, you know, from, I had great grades. So from the outside looking in, people were like, wow, this kid like has the life. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, I was abused a lot. Um, I was molested for a period of years by my youth soccer coach and by my piano teacher. Um, and, you know, I don't need to go into graphic detail about that, but it was just a, quite a few years of molestation. Um, my mom, unfortunately, um, you know, and I, I, I have to say this, I will love my mother unconditionally. I will love her till the day she departs this world. I do not have a relationship with her. It has been years. Mm -hmm. um, I had to keep a boundary. Um, I love her though. And I know that she did the best that she could, but that generation of our parents, therapy was not okay. And so our parents went through life in survival mode. And unfortunately, they passed on a lot of that unhealed trauma to me. And they weren't able to be those quite loving, unconditional love parents. You know, I know they did their best and they, they offered me the best that they could. Unfortunately, a lot of it was unhealed. So I did suffer a lot of mental abuse. Um, I grew up in a house where I was so afraid to ever speak, fearing that I would either get beaten or screamed at or yelled at. And I saw a lot of violence as well. I'll leave it at that. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty terrible. So at age 15, here I am addicted to cocaine and became a sex addict in Laguna beach at age 15. Um, because how'd you do that? Little prep school boy. Yeah. I mean, we, our parents had a ton of money, so we would just steal money from our parents, go to Santa Ana, California and buy a ton of cocaine yeah. and then do lines on the beach, you know? And mm -hmm. so, um, I didn't know that I was escaping then, but at the same time, I knew I was gay. I was a really good athlete. Um, and that was really hard in the nineties to be gay and be an athlete. You just couldn't do those things. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of gay shame as well. And so I wanted to fit in. And so I started abusing cocaine and I just remember it made me feel good. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew it made me feel good. So at the time I was escaping, I was numbing. Um, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to chase that feel good. So that turned into ecstasy, turned into meth, turned into heroin. I was partying in New York city, but it's crazy because I was taught at a young age to work hard, play hard. And I got straight A's. I got into NYU. I got into film school and I was working 40 hours a week at the today show when I was, you know, in New York city. But at the same time, I was partying so hard. Fast forward to the very end. I was, well, there's a, there's a, there's a very compelling quote, something like, um, to just two different lives, uh, a druggie in the slums of New York at night or something in, in, in your book that says something like that. Yeah, that was in L.A. because I was a street reporter in L.A. And that takes me to my rock bottom of January of 2010. And I no okay. longer I no longer count sobriety. I no longer count my days. Um, I, it's based in ego for me. 
Um, I think the chip system is based in ego. And I think it keeps a lot of people who relapse from coming back because they carry that burden of shame that they got to now throw their chips in and start over from day one. I'm of a totally different belief than the AA belief that of continuous sobriety is what matters the most. I don't believe that. I believe in totality of sobriety. I think relapse is a part of so many people's stories. And I always count it as dark time. So if you were out for a month, you have a month of dark time. You don't lose all the experience, strength, and hope that you gained up until that point, but you pick yourself up and you continue on. And we can get- Brandon, to- that's amazing. Yeah. But I, I also want everyone to know that he's not saying this because he was a chronic relapse or no. because he's coming on the show with a month. No. I mean, you have significant- I have a significant um, amount t- of time in recovery, but I, yeah, but here's the thing. Count, but- I, I meet people with significant amounts of time in recovery- that have no recovery. Jennifer, but I look at them and I'm like, your life's a mess. So at 30 years yeah. sober, this is what I have to look forward to. So the totality of sobriety means nothing to me because I've met people with two or three years of sobriety who have much more to offer than somebody with 30 plus. So just well, in that itself, it's not about that. So when you meet somebody, well, here's the thing. Here's one of my issues with AA, and I'm grateful for AA. I did meetings for 10 years, five a week. All right. So I've done my AA time and I've done the meeting mm-hmm. thing. But here's the thing. When you walk into a 12-step meeting and what's the first thing they do? Hi, what's your name? Jennifer. Jennifer, what's the second question people ask? How much time you got? How much time you have? What we're doing subconsciously is we are sizing that person up and we're taking an authoritative approach. So if Jennifer, you tell me, I think when I met you, how much, I, I'll ask you this. How much time I did you I had like six months, I think. Right. I had you on my podcast when we did six months. So if I'm looking at you six months, what do I immediately do? Oh, well, I have 10 years. So now I'm going to take the authoritative approach. You know, somebody goes, well, I have five years. Well, I have 10, right? We're naturally taking an authoritative approach, but we shouldn't be because the person with 10 years doesn't necessarily have something more to offer than the person with five. So here's mm-hmm. what I challenge people in the 12 steps rooms. Jennifer, what's, uh, hi, what's your name? Hi, my name is Jennifer. Jennifer, how's your life today? It's, it's getting better. Is every day it's getting better. Um, I'm grateful for what I have. I still have a lot of work to do. I'm not going to stand here and say everything's great, but what I have is amazing. I'm grateful. I have a lot of gratitude and um, I'm just working one day at a time to stay in the present moment. Perfect. You know what, Jennifer, I want to know more about you now. You know, I just want to know more about you. I don't need to know how much time Jennifer has in order to have her in my life or to want to hang out with her. I am going to choose that by what you just told me. Ah, that's somebody mm-hmm. That's somebody I want to get to know better. Their life is good. They're happy. They're mm-hmm. humble. And so, mm-hmm. you know, those are all things. Those are characters, characteristics of people that I want to hang out with. I don't care how much time you have, Jennifer. It does not impress me. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. And, and they could lose that time in two seconds anyway. You exactly. know, I mean, it's just a split second away. Yeah. So, and you know, yeah. as we're all, as we're talking, I'll get back to my rock bottom. But as we're talking about this and here's my analogy and I'll bring you two of them. So I ran the New York City Marathon back in 2017. Um, I survived 9-11. I was living in New York City at the time. So hmm. this was part of a healing technique that my therapist had me do. Um, because I refused to go back to New York city for since 2011 until 2017. And mind you, I've spent 10, 10 years of my life there. My phone number is still a New York city number. So, um, but I survived nine 11. I was there on grand zero when those towers came down. So that was a traumatic event. And so healing for me was running the marathon. So I trained my ass off to run this marathon. Okay. And I'm a competitive guy. I'm a former athlete. 
international athlete. And I'm like, I'm going to try to qualify for the Boston marathon, which means I needed to average about a seven minute mile pace. So I was on pace. I hit mile marker number 17, Jen, and my body collapsed. My body broke Mm. down. Okay. And I'm sitting there on the side of the race. My muscles are cramping and I broke down crying. This race official comes over to me and says, what's your name? And I said, my name is Brandon. She goes, okay, just take a few deep breaths. She's trying to get me to stop crying. And she goes, how bad are you hurt? And I'm like, my muscles are cramping. And she, and I said, but I, I'm not going to make my qualifying time for the Boston marathon. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to make the time I was saying, she goes, Brandon, are you trying to win the New York city marathon? She goes, because if you are, they actually crossed the line an hour ago. Mm. And so she goes, calm down. She goes, hear what we're going to do. She goes, I'm going to get you some really powerful electrolytes. I'm actually going to massage out your leg. You're going to get back up. You may not sprint to the finish line. She goes, but you can walk. She goes, you can walk to the finish line, but you're going to finish this race. Oh my and God. so what I do, I got back up. Did I make my qualifying time, Jen? No, I didn't. Did I, did I cross that finish line? I absolutely did. And so did that race official in that moment, Jen, go, you know what? You got to go back to Staten Island at the start of the race, mile marker number one, and rerun this race. <laughs> no, right. you didn't. You pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. You fix whatever it is. You learn from that fall. You learn how to treat your body, and you continue on. The second analogy I'm going to give you is this. When people go to master school, Jen, they're managing sobriety. They're managing a family at home. They're managing a full-time job. If you're in your third year of your master's program and you happen to fail a class or you don't pass, it's either pass or fail. If you fail a class, does the dean of students come to you, Jennifer, and say, you need to start back at class one, year one, and do everything over again? No, you don't lose the knowledge that you have gained up until year three. You pick yourself up, you relearn that class, you pass it, and you move on. That's all I care about. It's continuous growth in life. It's not about continuous sobriety. I love that you, you said don't that because- learn, yeah. You don't lose everything you have learned before you relapsed. Well, and the most important thing is that it does prevent, I believe, so many people from coming back. And as a chronic relapser, the shame of having to stand up and, you know, pick up a white chip is like having to get naked in front of 10,000 people. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's obnoxious. It's a a shame system. And there's a lot of people who tell me, Jennifer, I get hit up on, on, on uh, social media all the time because I'm a news anchor. So public has full access to me and I recover out loud. So all these people are just like, Oh my God, Brandon, help us, help us, help us. I got this, I got this, I got this. And you know, it, it relapse is a thing. And one message that I heard over and over again, which got me to this belief and really challenged my thinking and 12 step thinking was these people were like, Brandon, I can't go back. Like I, I, it, I, I just feel so bad that I have to give back all, all my chips. And I'm like, Holy <laughs> shit, that's going to prevent you from getting sober. Fuck your chips. Fuck it. And you don't have to stand in front of a fucking room of total strangers to say, hi, I'm Brandon. I relapse and I'm 24 hours sober. Why? That's people in 12 steps are like, but that's accountability. No, accountability is this. Jennifer, if I relapse and I come to you and say, Jennifer, I I fucking slipped. I relapsed. That is accountability. I don't have to and tell strangers and getting, and getting back to and, get, and getting it back together, not continuing the behavior. hundred percent, a hundred percent me telling another addict or telling my therapist, I relapse. That is taking accountability. That is, so you don't have to stand in front of a room of total strangers for that to be the accountability F that. 
F no, that. No, you talk to the people that, are, that, that you trust in yes, your life to help you. Because they're going to support you. They're going to give you the words of wisdom to give you the strength to get back. Because yeah, I, I believe, it, because here mm-hmm. I, my belief system is trauma is the gateway. Trauma is the gateway to addiction. And then, and 12 step rooms and people need to really hear this. 12 steps are a sliver of the pie of the totality of recovery. It is not a hundred percent of the pie. You can't expect to just do AA and, and be sober for the rest of your life. It, it's not that. And people need to understand because the efficacy when it comes to opiates in 12-step rooms, whether it be meth or heroin addiction, it's different than alcohol. And we can't take the same program for alcohol and expect that same program <gasps> to work for opiate use. Full stop. So the only way if we, and, and if somebody tells me what's the efficacy with Crystal Meth Anonymous, I'm going to tell you it's probably 15 to 20%. Yeah. And if you think that that's a successful model, I'm going to tell you that's a failing model. That's not good enough for me. The only way mm-hmm. we can treat long-term efficacy to stop constant um, relapsing is by healing childhood trauma. You have to work with a certified trauma therapist to get past the frontal lobe, get past to the lower part of your brain where all of that trauma is stored in order for us to rewire our brains. 12-step is not therapy. 12-step will not rewire your brain, and it will also not heal you from your trauma. No, it, it might help you find your spirituality or give you some good guidance. I remember one thing that you told me that I'll never forget. And I believe that this did help you, especially I'm saying this because you speak out about it yeah. as being a sex addict and stuff. You were like, my sponsees, I won't sponsor them if they're if they're dating or have relationships or have sex yeah, in the for first one year. year. Because I didn't. You didn't have sex in the first year. No, I didn't. And I, I mean, I remember at six months sober, I was like, I would never ask him to sponsor me. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, I because sex, wanted- because we have to understand that for a lot of heroin and meth addicts and, and just a lot of drug addicts in general, uh, sex Sex is healthy, and that's the one thing when I talk about sex is we can't quit sex, but sex can absolutely be an unhealthy, like a drug, right? So yeah. if things are so connected in that way, we have to treat sex like a drug if you're a sex addict. And we've got yeah. to- uh, I mean, uh, Yeah, it's essentially- I would make the person my higher power. The other person would be my higher power, so I wouldn't be putting anything into my recovery. There'd be no substance in my recovery. So I want to ask you more uh, really uh, quickly about, so you go, you get help for the trauma. This is always my question. Like, like how, how do you treat trauma? Is oh, it, do, yeah. do you go and do like uh, hypnosis? Sure. Do you do the EMDR? Or sure. what, what was, what did it for you? So it was two modalities, EMDR that helps you get past the frontal lobe and, and get back here. But I'm going to tell you this. And, and I've just, I, 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 I've spoken publicly about this once and it was on a podcast, a different podcast. Um, that didn't get a lot of, you know, it's a smaller podcast. So this is, I'm going to share something with you that I have not shared so openly and publicly because this is going to be to the benefit of your listeners. Um, last May I started violently shaking at night. Um, Hmm. I'm talking for four or five hours and I'm not talking, I have the shivers or the shakes. No, I am talking, if there was a camera pointed at my bed, it would look like someone was performing an exorcism on me. And that started in May of 2020. And that happened all the way up until January of 2021. And mind you, I was doing talk therapy and I do talk therapy every Tuesday for two full hours. Okay. And I was still violently shaking in January. I couldn't take it anymore. And for two weeks straight, I sat there at the edge of my bed and I contemplated taking my life and thought about taking my life, committing suicide because I could not see a way out. I, and people need to understand this. 
there are CEOs of treatment centers who would come over to my home, take me into their treatment center and not charge me a dollar because that's how much they love me and the advocacy that I do in mental health. Did I, Brandon, privileged, with all the resources available, health insurance and everything, talk therapist, did I tell anybody? No, I didn't. Because when you are in that state of mind, it is too late. You, so I, needed to, I needed to heal earlier from then when I planned my death. But I have my talk therapist every Tuesday. That is in my calendar. It does not change. It does, it's not a floating calendar. She is in my calendar every Tuesday. She and I are so connected. I logged on to my Zoom therapy meeting, and she looked at me and goes, Brandon, before you say a word, she goes, I believe your higher power came over to me over the weekend. I just need to ask you something straight up. Are you thinking about taking your life? What? And I said, Pat, yes. And I broke down crying. She goes, okay. She goes, you, I've been very concerned because you are actually the type of person who would do it. Somebody in the public eye, someone who is doing all this advocacy, but somebody who has these violent shakes at night and suffering all this trauma. She goes, that's it. She goes, beginning on Thursday, you're going to be meeting with another certified trauma therapist. His name is Toby. He is a shaman. He's a certified mm, trauma therapist. Yes. I love it. He's You're a, speaking my language okay. now. He's yeah. a certified trauma therapist, but he's also one of the best shaman. So on Thursdays, mm. I drop in for almost three hours. So what happens is I lay on my couch. I do a series of breath work for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. I am able to get past my frontal lobe. And immediately I start to see my entire childhood and all my adulthood, all my traumas in a movie reel. And I stop and I talk about each one. I remember Jennifer. I was screaming out loud. It's like cathartic. <laughs> the energy is stored in our bodies. All of those traumas are stored somewhere in our bodies. And when we go into survival mode as a child, we don't have the ability to fight back. So we store them real deep to the point that we almost don't even remember a lot of those traumas because we, we try to delete it so far from our memory, but our body keeps a score. And we store that energy in our body. So people ask ourselves, why do I keep choosing? Why do I keep making poor life, poor life decisions? Why do I keep choosing a wrong spouse? Why do I keep doing this? It is because your wires have not been rewired from that traumatic event. And you're going to continue to misfire. When we are born into this world, our, our brains are wired like this, right? The majority of us. Mm -hmm. When traumatic events happen, it, it does this, and we begin to misfire. And until we go back and rewire our brains, we're going to continue to misfire. So those shamanism, uh, when I started with shamanism, I was remembering things that I did not consciously Remember, and each session we heal from that traumatic event. Mm -hmm. Within a month, two months, I started, I never had, I, since January, that first session, I have not violently shaken once at night, not once. I am today the happiest I have ever been in my life today, more so than when I was five years recovered, 10 years recovered, 11. I am the happiest today since working with the shaman rewiring my brain. 
from all of those traumatic experiences. And that leads me to this. In late April, I'm an artist as well, by the way. Yes. And so I hadn't put my hands in paint in more than a decade. In April of this year, I started waking up with visions at 3 a.m. in the morning to the point that sometimes I wasn't able to go to bed, back to sleep. So Toby, my shaman, says, here's what you're going to do. You need sleep. You're going to put a sketch pad on your nightstand. And when you get these creative images coming to you in your sleep at night, you need to draw them out, write them out, and go back to bed. And so that's what I do. And then the next day, I go into my art studio, and I try to create what I saw in my dream. Those, the art that is coming out, out of me now, that is essentially um, my inner child, and I call him Little B, Little B. So mm. Little B inside of there that had so much of his childhood taken from me is now coming out. He feels safe. The adult Brandon and my inner child are now bonded, and I'm going to take care of him. So when I'm in my art studio, I'm in an alpha state, and that's my Little B coming out and allowing my inner child to come out and play. So what I tell people is if you want to heal, use the modalities. And I'm a huge believer of science, which I, I'm no longer, a, and I need to say this, I am no longer an active uh, practicing member of AA. Okay. okay. Wow. That's I, a different brand than I met yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, just okay. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Because I have created my own design for living. I believe in the advancements of science. And I use all the modalities available to me. So what I encourage people to do is just if you're going to a 12-step meeting and that's all that is your recovery based, I'm telling you, life will catch up with you. I don't care if you're five years or 10 years or 15 years sober with just AA. I am telling you at some point in your recovery, if 12 steps is all that is part of your menu of recovery, (laughs) you will relapse. Or you will put yourself in a dangerous situation if it's not relapsed. You'll continue to marry the wrong person. You'll be in an abusive relationship. The reason why people in domestic violence continue to go back to their abusive partner is because they have not rewired from their childhood trauma. So if I want to find a good shaman, how do I, I mean, like. Well, Toby's booked up and he, uh, he, he tells me all the time because then when I say, when I say that people are like, Brandy, can I have Toby's number? And I've asked Toby, Toby's like, Brandon, I love you. And I want to, no he, he goes, but I have no more space. So all you have to do is do a Google search. Here's what I would recommend people do. Do a Google search and do trauma therapist shaman because you don't want to just go to a shaman who doesn't know how to heal you from the traumatic events which is why the certified trauma therapist really comes into play yeah you don't just want them burning sage on you and being like uh and there's uh, enough of those shamans out there who will do yeah i have to share that i had an experience like i mean my experience was great a great experience um i just didn't do it consistently like you did my shaman actually just said one one and done and when I was done with the breathing technique and everything that you described and purging out feelings, emotions, crying, laughing, just see my, 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 my mother who's deceased was in, she was there. I'm sorry. And I, you know, I'm not one of those people that talk to the dead, but my mother was there like everything. I can't even explain to you the experience I had. And I felt amazing. And I think the mistake was that I don't think I finished it, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I'm surprised that she only had me do it once. No, I do it every Thursday. Wow. That's a lot of energy. I drove home. I was like, it's a, first of all, when you're in it, it's like an, almost like an acid trip. I felt like I was tripping on acid. No, it really is. So afterward, 
um, what what he encourages me to do, I have to sit in a in my bath. In I have a I'm grateful that I have a really nice bathtub that's separate from my mm-hmm. shower, and so I go in there. I light candles. It's burning hot, and I use eucalyptus and and bath salts um, in order to let all of that energy out, and that actually restores your body after those intense sessions. Um, let me ask you this question. One more question, and yeah. uh, it looks like we're not even we're gonna you're gonna have to come on again and tell your story because it looks like we're just talking solutions and not. I mean, okay, Brandon, he was a friggin' math addict on the streets, whatever, he got sober and, and yeah. now he's awesome. Okay, that's the story. Uh- if you want to, and here's the thing, because here's the thing, if you want to know how dark it got in my rock bottom, honestly, I was like a news anchor, street reporter, getting high on heroin and meth in the parking lot of our studio lot in Los Angeles, and we'd go out to the streets of the slums of LA. I died twice. I had two relapses. I mean, not relapses. I was never sober. I had two <laughs> overdose experiences. Yeah. I was in a hospital, mm-hmm. hooked up on life support. Uh, twice in two weeks because the first time wasn't enough. I got out of the hospital, went and shot up and then ended up back in the same ER. They saved my life again. And that's when I got sober. I'm telling you, I, here's the thing. I don't love talking about war stories. That's all in my book, Mascara Boy. But here's the thing. I love talking about solutions because I think that's what people need to hear. We can trade yeah. war stories day in and day out. That's that's fine. But whenever I have a chance to talk, I'm all about healing and I need to get the message out is that if you're listening and you're struggling, you need to heal from your trauma. 12 steps will not heal you from the trauma. You need outside help for that. And sponsors stop giving advice. Oh, 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 Brandon. I'm so sorry. I have to tell you what I just experienced. And this is not, I don't want this to be um, an AA bashing session. No, it's not. And I'm so grateful for it. And sponsors are great just to take you through this. I have to share this. Do not give advice. You are not certified. You are not a therapist. You have no idea how to take your lens off from your life experience and put on theirs. So, ah. I've seen a lot okay, of damage. So a week ago, I was doing step work with my new sponsor, and she asked me if I was on Visterol, which is like Benadryl. I said no. So we started talking medications. I told her that I was on psych meds because yeah. I have depression. Yeah. Um, I've had depression my whole life. And she basically told me that I had to go off the meds. She gave me her psychiatrist's phone number. She said, call my psychiatrist right now in front of me, or I will not sponsor you anymore. Disgusting. Let me tell you. So like, I'm not in a great place right now either with, uh, I, I listen, I I'm still going to hang out with my posse in the yeah. meetings because I, I, I am, but I do the other things like you, like you're talking about, uh, Ray, the Reiki has always helped me. The yeah. meditation is so important. And so about the shamanism, it, 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 does it work? Do you think it works if someone finds one online or do you think it needs to be in person? Oh no, I don't do mine in person. Oh, it's online. Okay. Oh, because Good. the pandemic. And, and, and Toby is in Alaska and Toby never, he refused to ever do online sessions. He only wanted to do it in person because he really moves energy. I mean, he, it's crazy. I, he like is able to talk to my spirit guide in the, in the craziest mm-hmm. effing ways. Like I know people are like, what? I'm like, no, he's the real shamans are legit. Um, they're spiritual healers as well. And, um, the pandemic forced him. He had to do it because he couldn't see people in person. And so that forced him, but he was afraid that he wasn't going to be able to have that same energy impact on people. He, it has proven that he can. Yeah. He, well, energy has no time or space or cause I, I do Reiki and you can, right. there's no time or space. No, you for can energy. absolutely do it online. You can absolutely do online sessions. Um, if they're really good, it doesn't matter. Um, and so I encourage everybody to reach out and, and do that and find a modality that works for you. Um, it's so important, Jennifer, if you want long-term efficacy, if you want a better life. And 
I just really, really encourage people to go for it and to try something new if, if what you're doing is not working. He also does ayahuasca. I don't do ayahuasca because I'm able to drop in through deep breath work and I would rather not um, use a drug in order to get past the frontal lobe. But ayahuasca is all you're doing. Ayahuasca is all it's doing is getting people past the frontal lobe and getting them Tell back Tell people here. what that is. Not everyone knows. So ayahuasca, ayahuasca. is a plant. Yeah, it's a, it's a plant derivative and it's somewhat of a little bit of a trip. It's a little bit kind of like a high that gets you all it's doing like mushrooms like you know microdose i'm all in favor for microdosing with shrooms for people who suffer P ptsd that would never be acceptable to tell somebody in aa or tell somebody in 12 steps but i truly believe that uh, microdosing with psychedelics and shrooms can actually help people get through to their trauma and help them recover from PTSD. And I'm all in favor of that. If somebody in recovery needs to microdose with shrooms under the guise and under the care of a certified trauma therapist, because it is a proven modality that is working in clinical trials. And I'm all in favor of that. And I would, if I were still part of those groups, I'm the guy that says, absolutely. If your trauma therapist is telling you that you need to use this modality in order to treat you from your PTSD, my God, go fucking do it. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Well, we've, we've had a lot of shows on that and on California sober and, um, I almost called her Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, but right, I, right, I think right. she takes it. She, she takes, takes it. To the I'm not a fan of California sober that because yeah. to me, that's not therapy. She's not healing and doing that. All the modalities that I'm talking about I is still sobriety to me. It is absolutely sobriety to me, but it is a modality and you're using it with your certified trauma therapist. Cause here's my thing, Jennifer, if I'm on Xanax and my trauma therapist and my, and my psychiatrist has me on a dose of Xanax, which I was on a period of time in my recovery. Did anybody else in the rooms look at me and says, that's a relapse. You shouldn't be on Xanax. Fuck no. Why? Because it's a pharmaceutical uh, approved FDA drug. Right. And no. that's okay. So you're okay right. with pharmaceutical. You're okay with me having to take Lunesta to go to bed every night, but you're not okay with me to go do of this other modality. That's actually healing me from my trauma. And this is where I disagree with the past to recovery. Mm -hmm. California sober is not that California sober is harm reduction. Can, yeah. It's harm reduction. Well, it's not yeah. sober. So California sober is a terrible name, which they have labeled it. It's just harm reduction. It's not sobriety. It's not recovery. It's just harm reduction. It's not yeah, using I'm the drug that took dope, you out. So, right. I'm not shooting dope. So I'm I can smoke, smoke weed. as much weed as I yeah. want. Yeah. It's not sobriety, and, uh, but it's also not healing that person from their trauma. So it's harm reduction. Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand. I, listen, I still feel like I've got so much that I got to dig and it's so hard for me that I have blocks. I think there's shit that I don't even know about that I got to find out. There probably I, is. Love it. I just don't trust it. I don't trust it. Like I, 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 I'm afraid that I would like it so much that I'd be like, I want to do this therapy like every single day, all day long. Like I just don't trust it. Yeah. Well then don't so, do I it. I mean, yeah, yeah. And don't do just, it. But, but what I yeah. would tell somebody is don't make a decision based on what I think is best or wrong for me. Yeah. And yeah. Don't, other and how about yeah. this? How about this? There's a lot of judgment in 12 step rooms. Like I would even suffice to say some of the judgiest people in recovery are people in 12 step meetings mm -hmm. and they'll smile to your face and they'll talk shit behind your back. So here's what I tell people is what works for me and my menu of recovery may not work for you, but guess what? I'm not going to judge you on your, on your menu of recovery. So mm -hmm. don't judge me on mine. Mm -hmm. Full the stop. bottom line is, right. yeah, we just, all, we just got to stay sober and, and not kill ourselves. Uh, like there's a, there's a podcast I love it called just don't die, you know, right. Just don't die. Just don't die. You know, and I, <laughs> and, I and, and mind you, and mind you, 
So I, I, I am in the process of really opening up an art trauma therapy school for recovering addicts, right? Well, they're all coming from 12-step meetings. Do I judge any of them? Hell to the fuck no, I don't. If it's working for you, my God, continue on that path. But yeah. what I am telling you is there's a lot of unhealed trauma within 12-step rooms. And it's really yeah. unhealthy at times. And you have to be aware of that. And you have to ask yourself, what do I need? What do I need? Because what I need may not, you know, we always say, choose your sponsor on somebody who has what you want. Okay, that's fine. But your sponsor's recovery plan may not be the plan for you for long-term efficacy. And you have to accept that. Your sponsor doesn't know everything. Your sponsor isn't trained therapist. They're not trained to look at life through your perspective and know what is best for you coming from your life circumstances and situations, even if you share the same drug of choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You uh, know, yeah. religious bias is a real thing. Those, uh, that's why people who are certified, that's why I tell people continuum of care after you get out of treatment, get a really good sober coach, someone who has a certifications to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I have to tell you, coming off what happened to me last week, um, you couldn't have caught me at a better time with this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised though. I am. I didn't. This is not the the, the way that I thought it was going to go. I know that you've done a lot of healing with trauma, and I know that actually you came out um, with because we met before the whole Me Too thing. Yeah, and that sort of is that kind of what sparked up all this stuff with the trauma for you a little bit, or what made you yes. want to come. Yeah, 100%. The Me Too movement is why I came out, you know, being a news anchor and it was, you know, covering the Christine Blasey Ford and Justice Kavanaugh Supreme Court hearings when people were telling Dr. Dr. Ford, oh, she's just now coming out if that sex, you know, if, if she got molested or raped by this guy 30 years ago and she's just mm -hmm. now coming out, then it can't be true. And I had never spoken to anybody about me being molested repeatedly because victims of sex assault, especially child sex assault, the, the victim carries the burden, the victim carries the shame. And so we feel like we did something wrong. So we carry that. And, and, um, which is the reason why we don't speak out because I always felt like people would look at me as a molested guy, as somebody who's dirty, washed up and, and, and used up. And that's what I, that nobody would love me because of shame. Right. And so yeah. that will, and I, and when I was reporting on that, uh, that, that hearing, that Senate hearing and listening to people in my own newsroom say, well, dude, why is she waiting 30 years to just come out? That's real suspect. And so that's when I finally wrote a long Facebook post to my 35,000 followers, um, and said, I was mol repeatedly molested at age seven. And at the time I was 37, I was like, I was repeatedly molested by my piano teacher and youth soccer coach 30 years ago. I've never said anything to anyone. I never reported it. Does that mean what happened to me did not happen? Does that mean that you are looking at me as somebody who is a liar? Because let me tell you this, if that piano teacher or youth soccer coach ever ran for Congress, I would come out. I would absolutely have come out. That would have been a motivating factor because I would want people to know what he did to me, that he should not seek higher office, that he should not have that kind of power and control. Um, and so, you know, what I tell people is that, you know, a lot of times victims of childhood sex assault, it takes a true, it really does take a trauma therapist. And there's a lot of sex abuse that happens in this country. And there's a lot of sex abuse victims in recovery. And that's used. And there's a lot that don't even know that they were sexually abused and they block it out. Because and they went using into survival drugs. mode. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, we just have to remove that stigma and remove that shame that if you are a victim of, uh, of sex assault or sex abuse, you played no role in that. You deserve to put that burden back on them back on the attacker yeah. you don't own that and, and and get rid of that weight because that weight will weigh you down wow i just i i love you i love everything that you speak for when i when i heard you speak two and a half years ago i loved you i loved your story and i just got to tell you everybody this was back in the aa days everybody was like going to rush to shake brandon's hand i basically like stormed I I, I, stamped, <laughs> I I just pushed them all like George Costanza in that one Seinfeld episode where he just pushes everyone aside with the fire. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, <laughs> but that's how I was to get to Brandon. I was like, can Aww. I come on your podcast, please? Yeah. Just because your story is so compelling and being in the media. And I just relate so much too, because, um, listen, I, my mugshot was plastered all over, uh, South Florida yeah. and, it was, you know, I was up for a big job, a big radio job. The next day I was supposed to start, obviously, um, I was not employed by that company. <laughs> they were owned by a bank. But so, you know, just the fact that you have the balls to go out there, how you turned down a job yeah. because of the book and you stayed true to yourself, yeah. you know, and now look at you. You're, you're, you're absolutely amazing. And Thank I'm you. so, so glad that you came on. I know you have to go run and just before you run, tell us where you're going. Tell us what you're doing. Yeah. You're, so I got amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. It's taken off in a way. A, I started doing artwork back in April again, finally after a decade. So I've always had that artistic ability in me. I just never tapped into it. And uh, it's taken off in ways I did it to heal. So people need to know that I did not do it to start selling artwork. It has um, my higher power is great. And I'm super blessed and very humbled by it that the artwork has taken off. I don't have, uh, I create a piece and it's gone the next day, which is amazing. And I'm grateful for that. But I got a vision of my, I got a vision of my sleep three weeks ago. Um, and I believe my, that's what this is. It's, it's my higher powers way of connecting with me and speaking to me because my days are so busy and I'm so up here that I never even take a breath during my day. So my higher power comes to me at night. I have accepted that and I love it. I'm like, I, I say a prayer before I go to bed at night. I was like, give me any vision or speak to me tonight and tell me what I need to be doing. Um, and I got a vision that I needed to open up an art, an art studio slash art gallery slash art, um, art healing school for recovering addicts, uh, teaming up with, um, with local treatment centers to send their residents over to my art studio for three hours. And I can teach them art therapy <gasps> and, in order to get them to open up, to feel confident about themselves, to get them in that alpha state, to be smiling and to be happy again. So that when they go back to the treatment center, they're more open with their therapist. They're more open in those 12 step open meetings. They're not sitting there in silence, right? It's building their confidence and art therapy saved my life. So I want to be able to give that gift back to other people. Um, and that was the vision I got in my sleep from a higher power. And ever since I got that vision, the number 1111 is huge for me in that it, all it is. And, I, and I, I have seen it every day in the last three weeks, which is why I know. And I make, and I just got goosebumps. Damn it. My higher power comes to me every time I call her in. I just got goosebumps talking about it because she knows that's mm -hmm. the sign for me. And all 1111 tells me is, Brandon, you're in the flow, continue on. And so I keep seeing 1111 almost twice a day, and I see 111 every freaking day. So it's always the numbers 111. And that's how I know this is something I have to go forward through. Oh, yes. And beautiful. this is awesome. this is my next chapter. 
You know, this is my growth. This is my part of my becoming. And I don't know where it leads. Does it lead to me eventually leaving news at some point? Maybe it does. Or maybe it's something that I still juggle both. And maybe my higher power is like, no, we want to keep you in news. So you continue to have a large platform. So people continue to see what sobriety can look like for them and give them hope that you can also do this. And maybe that's where the road goes. I don't know. All I know is I'm pursuing it. And I'm going for. And you're carrying the message. You're carrying the message in such a strong message and helping so many people. So yeah, that's, that's the goal of life, right? I didn't suffer. <sighs> I didn't suffer all that pain in order for me to make a lot of money and live a live a selfish life. I I went through all that trauma and those traumatic events. I healed from it so that I can hopefully help others, give them hope that they too, despite all, can recover and live a great life. That's all. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's what it's about. Not everybody thinks like that, Brandon Lee. Yeah, Not everybody thinks like that. We need more. We need more Brandon Lees. Yeah. Emmy award winning Brandon Lee. No, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Sober Exposure. It was great pay, to see you. And, and by the way, every time somebody goes, oh, five time Emmy winner, I was like, yeah, there are five paperweights that are actually sitting in the corner of my guest room closet. And people come over, they're like, seriously, your Emmy awards are on the floor of your guest room closet in your storage. And I'm like, yeah, I was just like. It's not about that for me. You know, if I if yeah. I displayed them, that's like me displaying my sobriety chips. I don't need that. That does not make me who I am, you know? And so I appreciate the accolades. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm proud of you for it, okay? You. you could be the proud fact of me that you get, <laughs> Yeah, you get more out of going to help these addicts that are coming yeah. from treatment in your art studio. Yes. I get it. That's where the real chicken soup for the soul is. 100%. So 100%. Have at it, sweetheart. Good to see you. We'll Good talk again you. soon. Good to see you as well. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast.